0: do you get when you combine a well-researched, prolific author who also happens to be a masterful writer? A unicorn, that's what. And today, we have such a unicorn with us on the Isle of Misfits. Her name, of course, is Amanda Barrett. And what makes her even more of a unicorn is that this is not her first, not her second, not even her third, but her fifth time with us here on the isle of misfits and we get to talk to her today about her brand new book the warsaw sisters welcome back what a pleasure to have you with us again amanda
1: thank you so much nancy it is such an incredible joy to be here with you again today
0: oh the joy is all on our part so yeah like i said this is
1: can you believe this is your fifth time here that's crazy. Wow, that is amazing. It seems like it's only yesterday that I was chatting with you for the very first time.
0: It does seem like yesterday, and I was going back in my misfit archive. So the first time we spoke looks like it was in May of 2019, right? back before the world became you know, when the world wasn't quite as crazy as it is today. It was crazy 1.0. Now we're 2.0.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. That was when my novel, My Dearest Dietrich, released.
0: That's right. So that was now that was four novels ago. And I know you've written a bunch of novellas and you do all kinds of collaborative projects as well. So yeah. So I was kind of, so there are four books. So My Dearest Dietrich, The White Rose Resists, uh, the Oh my gosh, I'm blinking out in the third one about um the what the last one that we talked about was the Jewish ghetto help me yes, with the Yes, Within
1: These Walls of Sorrow. Yes, Thank you.
0: Yes. Sorrow. <laughs> yes, that one, and now this one today. So that's four books, and yet you've been with us five times, and I was remembering how I did ask you to come, um, not to necessarily promote a book, but because you were such an expert on um, on this era, on this history, and particularly Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I think we, we talked right around the time of what would have been his 100th birthday.
1: Yes, 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 I remember that.
0: Yeah. So, so yeah, so I'm always just thrilled, somewhat shocked and amazed that you keep coming back. So, but I'm going to go with it. Um, so yeah, it's just such a pleasure to have you here. So we're going to talk about the book. You know, we are, I got, um, got some things I want uh, to bring up with you and see, see where the conversation goes. But before we do that, you know, you know what we got to do. We got to do what we got to do. We got to play the stupid game
1: yay yay
0: (laughs) okay you heard it she said yay so uh last time i think i boiled it down to one question so this time we're going to do two but they're going to be really quick so um i think last time i asked you if you weren't an author what would you want to be and that was fun um you have to go back and listen to that to get the answer um but this time okay so i'll start with a this or that okay okay If if you could have dinner with one of your characters, actually I'm going to boil it down to two and the real historical people, dinner with Dietrich Bonhoeffer or Sophie Schultz.
1: Wow. That is, that is really hard because I would love love to sit down with both of them. That would just be incredible. I have so many questions I want to ask them.
0: Right. And someday you will, but I'm talking about right. yeah. Yeah. If it were possible with time and space and string theory
1: and physics, uh, if you could, who would it be? I think I would go with Sophie Schultz because I would just really love to know, you know, I mean, she was so young when she did what she did. I mean, Bonhoeffer was in his late 30s, you know, at the time that he was, you know, doing the majority of his resistance work with Sophie. She was only 21 years old. So I think I would just love to sit down with her. And I know it'd be fabulous and fun because just from reading her letters and getting to know her, she was just this vibrant young woman. And it would, that would be just an absolute joy.
0: Yeah, I can see that because you yourself are very young. So I, yeah. Um, And it's inspiring. Like for me, you know, so I have a daughter who's not much younger than you, but to, but to think of your generation and to compare it to that generation. um, What an inspiration to see that there are courageous people, thoughtful people, uh, people that are willing to stand for something right and and to know what it is that they're standing for i think is you know i talked about unicorn but yeah um that certainly is a unicorn in any generation especially the generation we're in today so i get that answer i think yeah i get it but i would
1: love to have dinner with dietrich too and of I course totally, you would and that would also be an incredible conversation i would have so many questions for him as well and maria i mean imagine sitting yes. down and being able to discuss with her and her role in bonhoeffer's life
0: this is true oh yeah and what a fascinating conversation it would be because yeah he he himself like he just was so well-rounded and you know the arts literature history music all of it so that would be a fun that would be a fun dinner date
1: yes it very much would
0: absolutely okay okay moving right along so speaking of having fun or entertainment or the arts so all right favorite world war ii movie and i'm going to give you choice either a movie about world war ii itself or just a world war ii era movie your choice
1: that is super easy because it's actually one of my very favorite films of all time and that would be schindler's list it is i mean it's So powerful. Um, The first time I watched it, I was just stunned in my seat, seat, speechless. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's it's a work of art, you know, the cinematography, the acting. I think Liam Neeson's performance as Schindler is just incredible. And the score, the music is beautiful. So that's my absolute favorite movie of all time. I have a long list of others, but that's definitely at the top.
0: And, and I can see why. And I, I agree with you. I think, you know, it's it's funny, you know, um, how cable just kind of cycles and recycles movies. So I feel like that movie's been on quite a lot lately, the last several months. And um, I don't know, is that a movie that you've watched again and again or was once? Because it's pretty intense. Like, how many times, I guess, yeah, how many times have you seen it?
1: I've seen it, I don't know how many times, multiple times. Um, because Within as Well as Sorrow is set in the Krakow ghetto, I did watch, you um, know, it quite a bit kind of certain scenes especially in preparation for you know writing that book because you know it's this and I knew that um Steven Spielberg and all who were involved did a lot of work on the historical accuracy of that so I've watched it I've watched it several times it is a very hard watch and there are maybe some scenes that you know I don't I don't necessarily watch every time but it's it's very powerful very much worth it um definitely would recommend to people watching it at least once.
0: I would agree, yeah. And again, it's not you know not not necessarily an easy movie to watch, but but very beautifully done. Um, you know, another one. Not so. I asked you the question, so I'm answering my own question, uh, just in case you want to know. And I agree. I think that is one of one of my favorites. Another one that I really love is Life Is Beautiful. Um, and I'm a, I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's uh, it's subtitled because it's all um, in Italian, I believe, and it won the Oscar in the late '90s. So it came out right around the time of Schindler's List, but um, but it, it it had a different take. It 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 almost sounds ridiculous to say this because in the midst of all the atrocities, there was there was a joyfulness about the central character, even though it was not a joyful story. So I don't know. Have you ever seen that one?
1: I have not, but now I really want to. I've definitely heard about it. I've heard others recommend it, yet. I just haven't gotten around to watching it. Oh. I
0: Amanda, you must, you must. And then we'll talk about it again because I would love to hear your take on it. But it is, yeah, it, they, they did a very interesting take on the movie. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't even want to say anything more. So I don't spoil it for you. But yeah, it's it was really wonderful and moving. So that said. Well, I'm very um,
1: excited now. Yeah. yeah excited to see
0: it. Yeah. So I know, because speaking of movies, it's, I don't know. This, maybe this is just me. I am old now, but it's getting harder and harder to find you know a movie that's like worth watching it's like it takes i was joking with somebody that it takes as long to find a movie on one of the streaming devices as it does to watch the movie it seems
1: that is very 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 true i don't use a lot of streaming i still do a lot of old-fashioned dvds because yes those streaming platforms while they're wonderful and i mean it's wonderful to have them and be able to have access to that but sometimes it's just absolutely overwhelming the number of choices
0: this is true yes and i do get overwhelmed uh yes very easily cheesecake factory is enough to just kind of you know give me a mild aneurysm so yeah so too many choices did not it's not always a good thing so yeah, all right
1: So yeah so cheesecake factory you gotta love cheesecake factory
0: this is true i do love it i just get a little overwhelmed there <laughs> that said so um we're gonna move we're gonna move on but you know but before we do it's been a little while since we talked what's so what's new what's new with you
1: Well, I believe the last time we talked was around the release of my last novel Within These Walls of Sorrow. Since then, I have finished editing and released my next novel, The Warsaw Sisters. Also, um, my sister got married, my younger sister. So in the midst of editing a novel about sisters, I was helping plan my sister's wedding and celebrating that joy as she um, was a very beautiful bride. And so that was just a really joyous occasion for my family. So it's been a very busy um, spring, summer, autumn, preparing, You know. Editing a novel, planning a wedding, then releasing a novel, but just really just I'm so grateful to God for all of these blessings.
0: So that's really interesting. So the parallel, right? So you're writing about the Warsaw sisters, your sisters getting married. So I think that's a really interesting parallel. And um, speaking of parallels, that, that is something that I've actually noticed. About the stories that you tell, um, just in general, you know, themes of courage and bravery and speaking out and, you know, against, against the, the culture, right? But in all of that, I feel that there's an unmistakable parallel to our present day, right? Maybe not identical, but really similar, right? They, they say that, um, history may not repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. And I just, I wonder, I, I just love to hear your thoughts about that. Um, I'm certain you've thought about it, um, whether it was intentional when you first started or you were just interested in these stories. So yeah, What, what do you think about that?
1: I mean, I think that there's, there's always, I mean, there's definitely parallels. And I think that is just definitely the evidence that we live in a broken world. We live in a world that there is so much darkness, that there is evil and that there, you know, we've seen war ravage lands and, you know, devastate families. And I think what it always reminds me of is just the ability that ordinary people have in the midst of that. To use their lives and to just to not, you know, not remain indifferent, to not just stand, not be content with not being evil, but to actually decide that they are going to step beyond that space and make a difference. And I think that we, you know, can see that and we can see that that it really gives us all the chance. I mean, often we wonder, what would I have done in that time and place if I lived during the World War II? And I think that we can really just ask ourselves, what are we doing today? And that's something that I've kind of returned to as we've watched all of these events unfold. Oh
0: absolutely yeah so i've been hearing this a lot lately i'm sure you have too in one form or another but the the whole idea of if you're wondering how you would have responded right in the 30s and 40s you're doing it now right and and i think your your work speaks to that
1: Yes. Yeah, so I mean, it's been absolutely devastating to witness the anti-Semitism. I think that as an author of novels that deal with the Holocaust, that's something that really comes to my mind. And I think it's just, it's something that's deeply heartbreaking to witness. I mean, we believe, you know, how have we not learned from what happened, you know, in, in 80 years ago, in the ashes of the millions, and how are we still in this place? And how is all this still going on? It's my, it's devastating. It's heartbreaking. And I think it's just really a reminder to all of us, to what can I do? How can I um, live out? you know my own beliefs and be a light in the midst of all of this
0: right yeah and as you said ordinary people definitely a theme in every one of your stories you know and some you know you think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer Well, he was extraordinary and Sophie Scholl. they were extraordinary yes you know like in their intellect and uh, maybe they did extraordinarily brave things but at the End of the day, they were ordinary people, right? Um, and people across all spectrums of life, whether well educated, maybe not as well educated, wealthy, not so wealthy, just living your life. There's something that we all can do to stand with the truth. You know, I'm gonna, I'm going to um, splice in uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who I know that was later on with the the Gulag Archipelago, but same theme. You know, he he spoke a lot about um living not by lies. Right. And and that's what these people were doing. They they may not have been able to change the world, but they certainly impacted their world.
1: Yes, that's very true and very beautifully said. I so agree.
0: So yeah, so with all these things, I, I think that that one is the one that I always walk away or come away from your novels. Just being challenged. Okay. Yeah, there's things that I can do in my world. And you also said something a a moment ago about it's not just about not doing bad things. I'm paraphrasing you not so well, but you know, it's, it's not just about avoiding bad things, but what are the, what is the good that I can do? Because that's, that's really what our faith is. It's not just about avoiding sin. It's about living, living out goodness and life. Right. And that's not always, it's not always easy I was going to say, it's not always clear what wrong and right is, but I don't know, the more, the more I live, I think that that dichotomy is getting wider and wider and it is getting clearer and clearer.
1: It is. It is. I'm reminded of a line um, in my novel, "The White Rose Resists," where one character asks, "Which is easier, evil and indifferent, or indifference?" And that was a question that I really pondered. You know, and which is even worse, evil or indifference? And I think that so often we can think, "Well, I'm not being evil. I'm not the one perpetrating this." But what am I doing to stand against it? And I think that that's a really convicting and powerful question that we all need to be asking ourselves.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And did was it a Bonhoeffer line when he talked about um, when good men don't resist evil right that that's evil right it's it's when good men don't do the right thing and women of course
1: yes yes it's very true
0: yeah so so yeah all these themes. so um let's talk about this story because these themes are alive and well so the warsaw sisters so we've got two sisters right um you'll have to help me tell me if i'm pronouncing them wrong but we have antonina right and helena so the story is based on them did I get their names right? Yes,
1: yes. Antonina okay. and
0: Helena, yes. Helena. Okay, thank you. So yeah, so centers on them. And I'm gonna say one thing, and then I'm gonna just I'm just gonna turn it over to you because we're here to hear from you, not from me. There's one thing that I noticed about uh, this new novel. I feel more than ever, you're giving an even deeper insight. You know, you always give insight on you know just how hard that time was and the atrocity of war but I felt in this book and so far as I'm reading through it from the civilian perspective. Right. And of course, you know, there's, there's a story uh, of the the Holocaust woven into that. Um, and I want to be careful as I say this um, so as not to diminish what 6 million plus, you know, people, uh, Jewish people went through, but I feel like sometimes when we tell these stories, not a lot of attention is always given to how hard it was period for just the average person right whether whether or not they were jewish um for those whose land had been occupied like in poland
1: Yes, I encountered that, and I think especially with Poland, um, a historian that I read while researching this novel said that nowhere, you know, in all of Nazi-occupied Europe was the repression so great as it was in Poland, and that's that's paraphrasing her quote, but that's basically what she said. And I think that that comes through in the way that not only the Jews but the non-Jews were suffered incredibly and were um, persecuted by the occupiers. Um, street ra- street raids and arrests and deportations were basically a part of their daily lives. So you could be a woman, you could be going to the market to get a loaf of bread or a man on his way to work, and you could get arrested in a Nazi street raid and where they would just her on the street. And then you could be taken to um, forced labor in Germany that they were constantly trying to you know, fill more laborers to help with the war effort over in the Reich. And I mean, it was just, it was living daily under the constant shadow of of terror and danger. And um, in other Nazi occupied countries like France and the Netherlands, the penalty for helping a Jewish person might be something like you would be imprisoned or you'd be sent to a concentration camp. I mean, you think about like what happened to Cory Ten Boom, you know, they were sent, you know, for they were in prison for a while and then they were sent to concentration camps. But in Poland, very often the penalty for that was execution. And in some cases it wasn't only execution of you but your entire family so to take the risk that I am going to help you know this Jewish person with aid or shelter really very much meant that you very well could be sacrificing your life and so the, those who did that and those who chose that were taking that risk they were looking at these edicts that were being stated that this was going to happen and they were still choosing that I am going to still be willing to fight to preserve human life and that to me is extraordinarily powerful yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cause when you think, like you said, the stakes, you know, the stakes are so high. Like, I think, you know, in today's, in today's age, it's like, Oh, I feel very brave if I like, you know, a pro Israel thing because now I'm marking myself and I'm brave because I liked somebody else's post, you know, and, um, and I, you know, the level, I, I think there are people who are far more, you know, that, that are standing out in this culture. But I think what, what, what you're, what you're speaking to and what's speaking to me is the stakes right so if if i'm not willing to 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 stand out when the stakes are relatively low uh, what about if my job is on the line or my life is on the line like as you said like things as that we take for granted so much as like a radio right they had to turn in their radios for fear of execution
1: I know it's, it's really unfathomable to think about it. And I think it's just, it's, it's so, you know, we want to ask ourselves what, what I have done, but truly, I mean, that question is so difficult. And I think that those people, their courage is just extraordinarily compelling people like Irena Sendler who rescued Jewish children from the Warsaw ghetto and all the women who worked with her and the women who fought, um, and were part of the Polish resistance fighting for freedom. I mean, what they were doing, those stakes, as you said, were ext- were so high.
0: Right. And, you know, so people are people, right? Times change, people don't change. So, so it does make me wonder the contract. So why, why were they by and large, or at least in our, are ruminating on, on their lives, looking back on their lives, what made them more courageous on the whole than maybe our culture is today? And I have, I have my theories, but I don't know if, if you've given Any thought to that? I'd rather hear from you.
1: Well, I think it it really just had to do with the fact that they knew what they had to do and that they knew that they could not turn away. And I think sometimes it started out with very small acts. I think about... The story of this young woman I read, and I may have shared this on the last time we spoke, I know I've shared it on other podcasts, but she um, rescued um, and sheltered um, Jewish um, people in um, the villa of this high-ranking Nazi um, officer that she worked for. But it didn't start out with her being willing to shelter these people in the basement. It started out with her leaving food by the ghetto wall. And so it started out. She saw the need. She saw. She was looking across and seeing the deplorable conditions in the ghetto, and she knew that she had to do something. And she was this teenager at the time, but yet she knew she couldn't turn away. And so I think that it really comes down to these people realizing that they that they must act. That if they don't act, they won't be able to call themselves human beings in the as humanity is being um, you know destroyed in this way. And so I think that that I think that I would just it would be my prayer that if I were faced with that choice, if I were faced. With with witnessing events like that unfolding that I too would be willing to risk and even sacrifice my life to, you know, uphold human digni- dignity and preserve human decency.
0: Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree with that, right? And so knowing what is right, knowing, you know, upholding human dignity, absolutely. And it's not like today humans don't have dignity and well, we don't talk about right and wrong. So, so this is where I will interject my 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 thoughts and, and I want your reaction to them as well. So you know, knowing what you believe, right? I think that's a big issue today because we can we can go back 70, 80 years. And there was a sense that people knew not just what they believed, but why they believed it. And I'm not so sure that we're as confident today. We may say, I believe this, I believe that. I saw this TikTok and it riled me up and I'm gonna parrot it or whatever, um, but I'm not so sure A lot of people, particularly younger people in your generation, and I'm not saying this like, you know, shaking, wagging my finger. I'm saying this actually with uh, some sorrow. I'm not so sure many people know why they believe what they believe.
1: Yes, I would 100% agree. I think in our social media age, we are barraged with so many people's opinions and social media in the current, you know, it, it gives us all a platform to be able to state whatever opinion we want whenever we want to. And I think that that can really lead to our opinions being and our and our beliefs being very flimsy. They are very easily cast aside. It's so easy to state them. But, you know, really what a belief is really only tested when we come to live it out. And that's really the true measure of whatever we believe. And so I think that that's really, really what we believe is how we act. And that I think is something that I've definitely seen, you know, I've definitely seen both people acting that out and living that out and stepping into those spaces and also people, you know, stating their beliefs, but not really living behind them. And I know I've done both in my life
0: right yeah and for sure what we believe is how we act that that makes sense right so just watch what i do and then you're going to know what i think um so i'm going to push this a little bit so that might be true and yet i from my observation it seems like a lot of people and i include myself in this sometimes yeah we act a certain way and i'll say i believe this but if someone were to ask me why and, I'm, and I, I'm more conscious of this now, but maybe years ago, is somebody, well, why do you believe that? Would I just parrot what somebody else told me? Or would I be able to articulate why I believe this?
1: Yes, that's that's absolutely true. And I think that that really comes down to us searching our own hearts and searching and seeking the Lord, you know, to give us courage to not only hold beliefs, but to stand behind them. And I think that that's just a wonderful and you know powerful reminder for all of us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, let's, let's, let's get into the story. I know, you know, we won't do the spoiler alerts because we want people to read this wonderful story that you've written. Um, But tell us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about these characters. Tell us your inspiration. I, I know last time we talked, you were just, you were in the process of actually doing research for this book. So tell us about these sisters
1: so the Warsaw sisters is the story of twin sisters Antonina Helena and their individual journeys of resistance and resilience in occupied Poland and it explores all of these fascinating events and heroes from the dairy network primarily organized and operated by women that rescued hundreds of Jewish children from the Warsaw ghetto and Polands secret army that rose up in 1944 in Warsaw in this heroic and tragic battle for the city's freedom so it explores all of these fascinating and little-known aspects of history, particularly as relates to women's experiences in war, which is a theme that I return to in many of my novels, the one that I'm very inspired by. And so in the midst of all this though, it's a story about sisters. It's a story of the enduring bond of sisterhood in the midst of a world torn by war and how that bond abides and grows stronger even in the midst of that. So I really loved The researching this story was a profoundly moving experience, discovering the story of the Polish resistance movement, which became one of the largest resistance movements in occupied Europe um, with over 350,000 soldiers throughout Poland, um, resisting in the underground. And then there were um, in Warsaw when the Home Army rose up in 1944 and attempted to liberate the city from German occupation. I mean, there, there are just so many stories and so many little told stories, and I just, really love being able to explore them
0: mm-hmm. and you're so good at digging out like you said that that fascinating little known historical stuff because i you know i i follow you i i know uh, eric metaxas loves to interview you and i think one of the reasons he loves that is because you always come up with stuff that he's like i didn't know that and i love i always love that right so so you know your stuff you've researched it and i think it's wonderful to to unearth These little known facts and share them with the world again, because we need we need to not just know it like, oh, isn't that cool? But those very stories inspire, encourage and challenge us.
1: They absolutely do, and they do indeed, um, you know, especially the story of these young people. A lot of the people who fought in the Warsaw Uprising were in their teens and early 20s, and yet they were believing that they had to fight for the liberation of their city and for the liberation of their country. And so many of them sacrificed their lives to do so. And their stories are profoundly compelling and sadly very little known, especially in North America. They're very well known in Poland, but outside of that, I had never heard of them until I really began to. To delve deeper into the history of Poland during the war. And so that's really one of the main reasons I wrote this novel is to hopefully bring these stories to more people and so their heroism, just, just to remember them. I think the power of story is a vehicle for remembrance and that's something that I really sought to do.
0: Yeah. And you did it so well. So let me ask you, so Antonina and Helena, they're, so you've woven them into real events, in a real history. Is there any basis of fact in these sisters?
1: Both of them are composites of countless um, people who I encountered in my research. Antonina is inspired by the women who rescued Jewish children from the Warsaw Ghetto. A lot of people know the story of Irena Sendler. Um, Her story has become very well known that her and her network um, smuggled children out of the ghetto, and then there were others who sheltered them in their homes. And I really wanted, through Antonina's character, to explore the others who worked alongside Irena Sendler and what they did. My character, Antonina, not to give too much away, but she ends up sheltering Jewish children in her flat. And I think that that was just something, you know, really just to think about what that would have been like to hide Jewish children in your home to, you know, all that went into that, you know, how to keep them quiet, how to, you know, how to get them clothes, you know, what to do when they came to you and they were so malnourished and they were traumatized and they were terrified and they were, you know, hiding in the corner because they were so used to hiding from the Nazis that would come to search their apartments. How would you handle that? And so I really wanted to, I think that those stories of these women, I mean, what they did to me, it's, it's it's almost unfathomable, and so through Antonina's character, I just was really I really wanted to delve into that, and in, you know, just asking all those questions. And then Helena is inspired by the women who fought in the Home Army. So, the Home Army when um, and they were forming in, in their early stages before the uprising took place, there were women, and they were couriers, and they would smuggle messages across the city in their school satchels or their market baskets, and they would carry ammunition as they were compiling ammunition. In the hope that one day they would be able to rise up and fight with arms in hand, and open and take back their city. And then, when the Warsaw Uprising broke out, there were forty to fifty thousand soldiers, and among them were nearly twelve thousand women, and most were very young. Like I said, and they you know, they were in their late teens, they were in their early twenties, and they were they were couriers and they were nurses and they were combatants and they suffered and they sacrificed as soldiers. And, you know, I think about one woman, Christina, who became um, she was kind of a medic of sorts. She carried Carried stretchers across the rubble of the city as Warsaw was being mercilessly besieged by the German, you know, the the Stuka bombers, and they were bombing Warsaw. She would in they were the whole army was fighting. She would you know she would collect the wounded and then she would carry them to first aid posts. And she she said later that, you know, as this young woman, you get used to seeing blood, but you don't get used to seeing suffering. And I just think what they went through, watching their comrades, people that they had known in the resistance movement for years, you know, dying in these these horrific conditions. And just, and yet their incredible courage and their incredible determination to resist and to fight and to, you know, what they gave for freedom is just very powerful. And so I, re- and it was something, again, that I didn't know a lot about. So I really love being able to delve into that and illuminate these women's stories.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, and the, the, like you said, the composite and how that came out with, yeah, with Helena being part of that, of that resistance army, right? You said couriers, and nurses. I wonder how um, in your research, did you find any stories of women actually slipping into combat?
1: Oh, there were. There were very many. There were, especially so as when the uprisings Started, the home army was very, very short of weapons. A lot of these soldiers had only a single hand grenade that were had been manufactured by the home army in these clandestine workshops. So the German army, of course, was very, very well equipped. But yet these insurgents had very few weapons. So women were not armed at first, but many of them had been trained to carry arms. And so as they were able to acquire more weapons, weapons and as their comrades were would be killed, these women would take up arms and they would be fighting in combat, in battle, which is which is absolutely absolutely. Absolutely extraordinary. I mean, we think that this this did not happen very much in Europe. I mean, the Russian um, Soviets, they did have, you know, some women who were snipers and doing various things. But, you know, I mean, America had women who were nurses, but these women, you know, they were fighting in this urban combat and facing these absolutely horrific, you know, battle conditions and what it must have been like and listening to their testimonies and listening to them talk about, you know, what that was like and what that was like to be a courier to often the home army commanders would send two courier girls if they knew that they needed to get a message out because they figured that if one of them was killed, hopefully the other one would still be able to deliver the message. So imagine being sent on a mission with another young girl, knowing that they're really only hoping, maybe hoping that one of you like, was able to yeah. deliver the message and come back.
0: Right. Yeah. So, so no matter what, right? Courier, nurse, being in com, I mean, no matter what, they were putting, they were putting their lives on the line. And I think that's the point. And they were willing to do it because they knew what they believed. They, they upheld, I mean, they loved their, their city. They loved their country. Um, but they also loved the dignity, you know, the, the, they valued human life and they were willing to put their lives on the line for it and you know again so i want you to help me process something because i don't know where i've landed on this but uh, i mean i i know where i need to land but to be honest with myself as i'm processing these things so they were doing it against a back a backdrop of you know just the harshest conditions and manageable right you know like times you know the beginning of the occupation no water no electricity you know just just in very very harsh conditions knowing that they were cut off from communication um, with us, you know, I think about my life, you know, our relative comfort that we live in. And I, I wonder, and I'm not wishing this upon myself, but I do wonder if the harsh conditions make that contrast, if the, if it somehow elevates the con, the contrast or I'm trying to find the, I'm, I'm tripping over my words, but but illuminates that contrast and not that it makes it easier, but it, it makes it more clear because mm-hmm. when you have so much comfort, you know, when, when that's your goal, you know, to have this comfortable life and oh, I don't want to give up my comfortable life. And that might be the thing that keeps me from being, from being, you know, brave like these people. I wonder if that cushion is kind of is a, a smokescreen. And when you don't have, you know, when you, when, you, when you don't have all those things as your backdrop, I don't know. I don't even know if what I'm saying makes sense.
1: I think it absolutely does. I think that when all of that is stripped away, that really can, as you say, cushion us. But when all of that is stripped away, what are we left with? I mean, so often we rely on, you know, our material comforts, our good job, our home. And I mean, all of these things are blessings and incredible gifts, but I think so often we take them for granted. And then when all that is stripped away, we're really left as who we are as human beings at our heart. And, you know, if we're not, you know, we're not, we don't have strong beliefs and if we don't, you know, are not seeking a relationship with God and, you know, trusting him as my characters, you know, learn in the novels, you know, God be my strength for I have none, then that's really the only hope that's really the only hope we have
0: right yeah and i I think you said it so beautifully because like in the end like what is what is the goal is it to have you know the the house in the suburbs and the two-car garage and you know um all you know the two-week vacation or whatever is that the goal is to maintain that ideal life or or is the goal something higher and of course we know what the right answer is but what is it i think it speaks back to that why question like why what is motivating me and what am I trying to preserve? Is it this i this this comfortable life, or is it something higher? the truth, dignity, life, hope, you know the the value of of a human life?
1: Yes, I mean, it, these questions are just they're very convicting, and you're this is such great this is such a good word that you're bringing us.
0: Hmm. Well, I feel like you're bringing it to us. So I, you know, again, these are, these are great things to wrestle with. It's not always fun, right? Um, But, but that's okay. Right. Um, I feel like something I've been dwelling on a lot lately because everybody in the world is triggered these days, right? You know, don't want to be triggered. Don't trigger anybody. Don't trigger me. And, you know, everybody's uh, dealing with anxiety of one sort or another. And I don't mean to make light of it because I know it's a real thing. And at the same time, I'm coming to the conclusion that being triggered isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world
1: no and i mean people i mean you know even we see in these war-torn lands those people cannot escape their triggers i mean back then in warsaw you you were just that was just your reality and i mean it's it left so many deep scars on individuals and you know left them with memories that they you know could never escape and i mean how horrific to have to live through that and endure that and you know just the deepest compassion for that but so often yes i think that we do we almost hide behind those triggers instead of you know just what But really, you know, what is going on? You know, it's not always necessarily good to shield ourselves.
0: Right, right. And again, it's not to make light of the trauma that people go through because there's just some horrific things happening, even as we speak. Um, but maybe it's like one man's, you know, one man's trauma is another man's inconvenience, you know, and it's, it's, it goes back to our ability to deal with things that make us, you know, even uncomfortable because it's one thing to, to go through some of these, To, through the atrocities of war, it's another, it's yet another thing. It's like, well, you said something that I don't like. Therefore, I'm triggered and I can't cope with that. And I guess that's more of what I'm speaking to is, you know, being triggered is an opportunity to work through something, right? Oh, why did that hit me that way? And for, for me, and I think for you, for us as Christians, that's our opportunity to bring it to Jesus, right? So let's, let's talk about this. Why am I feeling this way? Why don't I like this? Rather than, as you said, hiding, right? Um, because what is the definition of courage, right? It's being afraid and doing it anyway. Right. And um and that's Yes, that is yeah.
1: that is so true. So
0: I want to go back. Here's a there's a quote. So I think I think it's related to what we're talking about, or or you know, we'll we'll find out because it's all connected in my mind. But this is early in your novel, you have a quote, and I just it just stuck out to me. It's on page twenty eight. It said, How easily are human needs betray our higher sensibilities how soon we turn feral and there was something about that because when we're faced actually you know what? i'm not i'm not even i'm talking a lot I'm, I'm gonna let you i want you to talk about that line
1: That's something that just really stood out to me as I was researching the siege of Warsaw as Warsaw was being bombed in the early days of occupation, you know, and, you know, buildings were being bombed and people were being buried underneath the rubble, food was running out in Warsaw. They had been under siege for several weeks and, you know, no food supplies were able to get in. And it just makes me think, I mean, sometimes, you know, I think we've all experienced that, that feeling. And I know that this is something that I thought about, you know, when we're, for some reason, like we skip lunch or we're not able to eat for whatever reason reason and like we start to get like hungry and almost we start to get hungry and we start to also get angry that we're hungry i mean skipping one meal is it's just a small, small thing. And yet, what would it be like to be in those conditions and living with this for weeks and weeks, you know, not able to, you know, very, you know, minimal food supplies, your food is running out, you're rationing it. And what is that going to do to you? And I think it's so easy to see our, we think of ourselves that how easy it is for us to turn feral and how easy for us to, you know, just that, that that's just within us all. And it's only by the grace of God that, you know, that there's any goodness in us and also, that was just something that I was exploring, you know, researching and reading what it was like to be a civilian in those early days of war and, you know, just how easy it was to just, you know, just to give into our base or instincts.
0: So, yes. So here's, all right, exactly. So, so here's why in my brain, this is all connected to what we've been talking about all along, because when it comes, when it comes down to, when you're just in survival mode and that's exactly where they were, right? Uh, carrying pails of water, you know, no electricity, you know, just as, as hard as you can imagine. It's like a Darwinian thing, right? So survival of the fittest. So you kind of turn into animals again, because this is, you know, everything is about just existing. And yet, these people in this story, right? Helena, Antonina, uh, the ants, and Marik, we haven't even talked about. So, what they're, what we're seeing in this story is, for some people, that contrast doesn't bring out the animal in them, right? The that, that feral nature. It bring it. it clarifies, kind of like we've been talking about. Okay, what is really important? So, rather than reverting to that animal instinct, they're they're being elevated to something higher. And I think there's something significant there.
1: There is, I really think that those those moments are really when we are tested. And I think that for countless people in the Holocaust and in the war that they they really chose, they chose to, I think about people in Auschwitz who would share their bread with one of their fellow um, prisoners, and they would be willing to give that to them, you know, even if they were themselves, you know, sacrificing. And yet I feel like sometimes those sacrifices, they remind us of our humanity and that they almost bring out, you know, just the good, the best and, and the, the survival that often, often reading about these bonds that were formed between people in the ghettos and the camps. Those often were what helped them survive to care for somebody else, you know, more even than themselves and just the strength found in that. And so I think that that can just be so powerful in the midst of these horrific circumstances.
0: That's that's exactly it. That's exactly it. When you're in survival mode, the natural thing is to think, okay, I've got to take care of me, right? It's a, you know, me, me first because that's what survival mode is. And yet the people that really didn't, that, that more than survived, more than existed, that actually were able to, to I don't want to say thrive because that sounds, that sounds very trite. Um, but the, these stories of these people that, that got through it, that were inspiring is bec- for that very reason. That they were not inward focused, that they did share, that they did think of others. And again, as, you know, it reminds me of a scripture, right? He who seeks to save his life will lose it. Um, but when we lose his life in Jesus, right? That's when we find it. And it's, it's, it's almost that trick of the enemy that, well, you, you know, when you, when you're so inward focused, you think you're saving your life. Um, but really there's a trap there and true life is found in, zooming out that it's it's bigger than just about me and that's where we find our own life
1: yes and i mean that's what jesus modeled so beautifully and all that he did and the compassion he had and the way that he gave to so many and i think that that's as uh, that what us as followers of him should just always be seeking toward and striving toward and praying for him to the for him you know to give us the grace to do that
0: yes indeed indeed oh wow this is such a great conversation uh, amanda Thank you so much for being here. I know we could go on and on. Um, There's so much. I mean, this is just, this is where we're just going to tell people how to get your book because I know they're going to want to read this. You always, you always tell such beautiful stories. They're historically accurate stories. They're masterfully written um, and they inspire. I think most of all, they inspire and they challenge in, in the most winsome of ways. So tell people how they can find this book.
1: Well, so the novel is available through all major online retailers, and all of those links can be found on my website, amandabarrett.net, and so I always invite readers to check out my website. I'm also going to have a, um, a kit on my website coming up soon for book clubs, which will have discussion questions and a conversation Ooh. with me and a playlist and, with music inspired by the novels, so much more. So definitely check out my website if you're interested in more information about the Warsaw Sisters or any of my other titles.
0: Oh, I love that. Oh, book club. Okay. I'm going to sign up for that myself. That sounds great. And and as I said, you are prolific. Not that you, you know, I'm telling you what you already know, but yeah, you're going to find so many more. So these four novels are just scratching the surface. There are so many other things that you've, that you've done that you've been a part of. So definitely check out that website. Um It's Barrett with an A, B-A-R-R-A-T, right? I think I got that right.
1: Yes, B-A-R-R-A-T-T
0: amanda thank you so much for being with us today and i i just am looking forward and hopefully not presuming upon the next time but i look forward to any chance that i have to speak with you
1: oh and i always look forward to any chance that i have to speak with you nancy this is such an incredible honor it always is such a joy to be on your podcast
0: well right back at you god bless you Like I said, I just love talking with Amanda, and I love her books because they're not just fables with a nice moral lesson. They are real stories about real people like you and like me, and they produce moments of clarity. And I don't know about you, but right about now, I need as many moments of clarity as I can get. So I hope you check out her book. You can get it at amandabarrett.com or wherever you buy your books. I hope that you'll check us out on isleofmisfits.com because we not only have great podcasts like these, we have blog posts and lots of other fun things. And I would really appreciate if you, if you've enjoyed these podcasts, would give us a kind review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, because it helps us to spread the word to all the other misfits out there, because that's our mission, right? To own our awkward to love our fellow misfits, and to seek beauty and truth everywhere,